What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, Trevor Sikama is here on this Wednesday evening. I said it really fast, so I would not forget how to pronounce it before I started diving into some sort of monologue to lead into this intro. But he is here. He is the Bucks beat writer for Pewter Report dot com, a very good Tampa Bay Buccaneers blog that you should check out. And uh, Trevor, good evening. You, I'm guessing, are not dealing with the same weather situation that I'm dealing with in Atlanta right now. No, not quite. I have uh, I have a lot of friends who are much more north around the country than I am, and uh, I have to say I'm I'm not jealous of of what you guys are going through. I'm really not. <laughs> I'll take the Florida weather right now. I risked it all today. I drove to the grocery store. I was out of food, and I made a made a tough call. And it worked out, but it was. Are you supposed skittish. to get? Are you supposed to get food before the blizzard? No. So here's a life hack: do it oh. after, because no one's in the grocery store at that point. So yeah. it was kind of a ghost town. It was pretty great. I just hey. had I, I was able to get in, get out with relative ease. Now there's a lot more risk of getting there. I was going to say it's amazing. Yeah, if if you can if you can survive the travel, I could definitely mm. understand how that would be how that would be advantageous for you. If my mom listens to this podcast, she's going to be very <laughs> upset. <laughs> so, mom, uh, you if you are listening, I apologize for risking it all and potentially driving off the road. Because there was this great WSB tweet uh, earlier today that, like, in the background, there was just a car going off the expressway in their B-roll. And they didn't even realize that this wreck oh was happening. It, it was... It's pretty nuts, but uh, yeah, so Atlanta is going through their latest snowpocalypse, so that's fun. But you're covering the Shrine game, which Correct. I'm still not 100% certain what that actually is. I just know Quentin Flowers is involved, so what are you covering and what what actually is the Shrine game? So a lot of people know what, like, for example, the Senior Bowl is. Yes. It's something that, you know, it's on NFL Network, it's over in Mobile, Alabama. The Shrine game is like the minor league of the senior bowl. So, you know, this is, and the NFL PA bowl is like the minor league of the shrine game, you know? So, so there's, there's these different all-star events that obviously don't get the coverage that the senior bowl does, but they exist because, you know, you can't fit everybody at the senior bowl and they know that too. So what they do is they set this kind of thing up. So you just get a chance to get a look at some different prospects, other guys who might've been worthy, who for whatever reason couldn't be at the senior bowl, but you know, often is the case. Sometimes there will be some guys from this week, this Shrine week, who either play really well or coaches just want to see more of who might get called up to the Senior Bowl, which is going on next week. So it's the same kind of thing. It's an all-star event. They split the guys up in the East and West. Uh, they get some NFL coaching to them, and it's a way just for them to get in front of some teams, some scouts, get them to see some live reps uh, instead of being at the Senior Bowl. So if you show out in this, you actually could get called up to the Senior Bowl. You can't. an actual uh, back and forth there where if you do, 
enough to get an invite. So that's interesting. I didn't know it was kind of like the minor league of the senior bowl like that. Yeah, it's not it's not exactly a one in one correlation like that. Like normally someone would have to drop out, you know what I'm saying? Like from the senior bowl, because the senior bowl normally already has their list basically full by this time. But there is often the case, like for uh, for example, Davion Smith last year, he was a running back from Michigan. He was at the Shrine Week. He had a pretty good week. He had, he had a pretty good week against his competition. Then one of the running backs either got injured or dropped out, and so they called him up to go see him for a second week. And so that's something that could always happen if you, if you perform well down here in St. Pete. Huh. That's interesting. Who's been the best player to watch since you've been down there? There's, there's a handful of guys that have been pretty well. Uh, to be honest, man, the Ohio State guys have um, – they're just they're just pros like they're the ones who are standing out they're not nervous about being in an environment that they've never been in before they've been in plenty of big games before they know like for example jt barrett the quarterback is down here he's clearly head and shoulders above every other quarterback that's here both on the east team and the west team so what are some of the other quarterbacks that are close to him um riley ferguson from memphis is one that is there quentin flowers is another one from usf that is here um, Nick Simonic from Texas Tech, uh, and those are really the guys that would, the only guys that um, I guess are are kind of worth men or if, who have had good weeks. There's four out of the six there. Poor Riley Ferguson. Paxton Lynch has ruined Memphis quarterbacks for NFL GMs for the next 15 years. <laughs> he might have. He might have, man. Imagine taking a Memphis quarterback after the Paxton Lynch stuff. You just can't. It's unfortunate, but you know, is Kyle Allen there? Because isn't he declaring? Or no. Okay, Kyle Allen's not there. He was not there. Interesting. All right. Well, that's cool, man. I, I this sounds interesting. Uh, Ethan, yeah, you could have got more into it. I'm telling you, now the week's already over, so all you get tomorrow is just like the last day of practice. Now you're actually hyped up about it, man. You got to get ready for it next year. I mean, I'm never going to watch it. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm not oh, allocating oh. any of my time to the Shrine game. <laughs> I have too much to do that. For me to just add in on my daily to do list Shrine game coverage, I just I can't do it. I, I don't think I'd be able to. Go ahead and log that in. But are you I appreciate. Call, are you, are you, you calling the things that I have to do not as important because I get to cover the Shrine game? Is that what you're trying to tell me, Chase? Why are you trying to get me in trouble, man? I'm just I am. Kidding, <laughs> man. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe one day. We got to get it up. But your biggest sell is JT Barrett. And sure. I've watched enough JT Barrett to know that I don't. Uh, I'm good. I've seen enough. He's been the quarterback at Iowa State for seven years now. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. That's true. It's true. I kind of thought, I, I mean, like, I, I knew exactly who JT Barrett was. I was kind of on the fence about him getting even drafted. But um, I do think that him being at this little all-star event here, clearly being better than his competition, I mean, it can only help. It can only help him in his case to get drafted. So he's not going to get drafted too high still just because of this week. But um, a good week is never a bad thing. I want to say that Daniel Jeremiah or Bucky Brooks on there. NFL podcast, which is one of my favorite NFL podcasts, because those two are just so good. They called the Titans game over the Chiefs. They called the Jags over the Steelers, and they're just their analysis is spot on. I love listening to those two just talking. You just learn so much by listening and reading their stuff. But I want to say that they were talking about the draft and quarterbacks and where they could go, and they both were not high on JT Barrett, but they mm-hmm. both thought he was going to still like find his way into like the third round and i was blown away Whoa. that he's gonna but they this was months ago and they were like yeah he's not that great we are big fans but they i i want to say that they thought he was like a third round pick at some, some team's gonna take a chance on him in the third or fourth which i'd be i'd be surprised if jt barrett gets picked before day three which is round four so mm-hmm. 
Um, that's just that's just my thoughts there. Those guys obviously have forgotten more about football than I could probably ever know. That's another one of the podcasts I agree with you that I always, always, always learn something new when I listen to them. But third, fourth, so positive. Third, they're so it, you just feel good after listening. They're quick. They're they're just a twenty minute to thirty minute uh, jam session that they cover like three or four things, but they're prepared and their stuff is just good. I feel mm-hmm. better always listening to them. Agreed. All right, but you know who actually has forgotten a lot of football? Mike Smith, defensive coordinator <laughs> of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of that porous Bucks team. Man, you saw a lot of them this year. I. I don't want to just rub this in because, you know, I, I was definitely high in the Saints coming this year. You can go back to the podcast. They were my prediction to win the AF, the NFC South this wow. year. And I I was high on them. And it worked out. And I was bullish on the Panthers. But the team that people were talking themselves into, and they it's this yearly tradition of there's so much talent on this Bucks team. Why can't this be the year they put it all together? And I, I, I just can't get there. And it's it looked like they were going towards the John Gruden thing, which I wasn't a big fan of. And Dirk Cutter, who I liked when he was in Atlanta, I think he was a really good offensive coordinator at that point. But maybe we're learning that he kind of is in that Wade Phillips role where he should just be an offensive coordinator and he's just not good enough to kind of get it all together. And I just, I don't know who the right coach is there. And I I was surprised they kept Dirk Cutter. But then again, so many teams made coaching changes that there's not enough great coordinators to go around. And could, would they go to the college route again after the whole Greg Schiano fiasco? I The Bucks are in a weird spot, but I like Jason Light and everything I listen and hear from him. I, he seems like a good GM. And I it's hard to like really rip any of their moves right. over the last couple of years. It, it's not like a team that's just operating in a really just foolish fashion but at the same time the bottom fell out this year and you kind of thought that they were gonna go in a different direction but then they beat the saints so then it's like okay it's fine right yeah they're a really hard team to get a handle on where are you at with this team it is it's tough and and just a little bit of a whole overview because you kind of covered a lot of it there i mean i like jason light too i think jason light you know coming from a college director of college scouting background um i think he knows what he's doing with player evaluation although prioritizing some of the positions maybe could have been done differently. You know, for example, you talked about Mike Smith there. The pass rush for the Buccaneers was god-awful this year. Uh, <laughs> dead, last, dead last in the NFL. And a reason for that, sure, Noah Spence got hurt, but, I, I mean, they, they had nobody behind him at all. And Jacquees Smith was also supposed to be a guy who was going to come back, give him a presence off the edge, be an edge rusher for him. He never got back from his injury. So both those guys are out. And, you know, you don't want to fault people too much when starters get hurt, but they had they literally they literally had no one in the tank after that. Nobody. And so, you know, they're signing guys like Will Clark and Ryan Russell to be their defensive ends. And if a lot of people listen to this podcast are saying, like, who are those guys, then yes, you are correct. So um it, it was it was so tough for Mike Smith again on this defensive side with no pass rush. Last year, the problem was is that that nine and seven record that they had, which was one win away. And even closer than that, really tiebreakers away from making the playoffs, it was smoke and mirrors. And if you take if you take safety Keith Tandy off of that Buccaneers team from last year, I'm talking 2016, mm-hmm. they win three less games because Keith Tandy, you know, I get that football is a team game. Trust me, I know that. But like he himself had game ceiling or game winning interceptions against the Saints against the Chargers, and against the Panthers. So, I mean, without him, they literally win three less games last year. Then all of a sudden, the the offseason might have been different. How they went about things might have been different. Heck, 
how they would have went about keeping Dirk Cutter around this year might have been different if they finished six and ten and then four and twelve. You know, I think Cutter's gone. I think Cutter's gone if they would have finished six and ten the year before and then four and twelve this year. So him, it's it's kind of becoming evident that you might be right. They might this might be a Wade Phillips thing because the pressure of being a head coach is just seeming to get to Cutter a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and man, it is a lot of pressure. You have to worry about all kinds of stuff. And trust me, man, play calling is an art. Coming up with a game plan in today's NFL is an art. So like I, I can't imagine trying to devote all your time to doing that, plus dealing with all the head coach responsibilities, take you know, doing your damage control with the rest of the team, the defense included, the special teams included, meeting with the GM, meeting with the media, all this stuff. And he's got to do all of this. And so I understand why it's a whirlwind, but that's why head coaches the good ones get paid, paid a lot of money because they can figure out how to either do this or delegate the responsibilities correctly. Now, at the yeah. end of last year, Cutter talked about possibly giving up play calling duties, You know, giving that instead to Todd Munkin, who has been a very successful play caller and offensive mind at the college level. He had he came I think, from Southern Miss, right? He was from Southern Miss, but he was at Oklahoma State before that when That's right. That's right. Uh, Brandon Whedon and when uh, Justin Blackman were there. Both yeah. of the years that he was the offense coordinator for Oklahoma State, they had top three offenses in all of college football. So then he goes over to Southern Miss, has his first two years as a head coach, not really his guys, whatever. Third year, he goes from being ranked like the 70th ranked offense in the country to the 15th. Like So, so it's clear that Todd Munkin knows what he's doing on offense. And Dirk Cutter came out— Can I play out- devil's advocate for that for a second, though? Yeah, what'd you say? Can I play devil's advocate for oh, the sure, whole sure. Monken getting play calling duties thing? Sark <laughs> is a brilliant offensive mind, and I was pretty confident that the Falcons' offense would not fall off a cliff because I thought Sark he he's just had good offenses everywhere he's gone in college at Washington, USC, and it was just even it's just so hard to see how those guys will translate at the professional level. So I think you could be a really good offensive play caller in college and struggle mightily in the nfl but then you have guys like john morton who seemingly can do it at both ends and then again he still gets fired but yeah i was gonna I, say that's, that's not a great example anymore as he was like, great this year i as, like, i would encourage everyone to, to watch a lot of jet stuff because his stu- his sets where he would do these semen hitches uh like what he did with robbie anderson what he did with josh mccount no that dude deserves like a lifetime achievement award for getting dude, what he did out of that team getting the most with the least is what he did and he still gets fired i think they're gonna i think they're gonna hire todd haley that's why i think they, they there's there's no other explanation which is like, fine but why would want to get rid also of todd haley we're gonna he's actually in my notes for this but I'll, I'll hold my todd haley thoughts because i do okay. have some thoughts on him but to go back to like monken and stuff it does feel like they're inching closer and closer to him getting the play calling duties because isn't that just seemingly how this all works when a coach is kind of nearing the hot seat, things aren't working out that well, especially with the offense. And you have this franchise quarterback in James Winston who really needs to put it all together. And they do the whole flip the script thing where it's like kind of like Andy Reid passes to Nagy and you could see the same situation or McCarthy when the Packers were struggling offensively that brief amount of time, a couple of years ago, he delegated play calling duties and you see this with coaches who get desperate, the offensive-minded coaches. They just to shake something up, and if the Bucks get off to a lackluster start next year, it seems like Monken's in good shape to get play-calling duties. But my thing with guys like Cutter, I'm just... If you make him the coach of the Packers next year, they probably still win, what, 10, 11 games 
if Aaron Rodgers is healthy for 16 games. It's oh. so hard to figure out guys like Cutter and McCarthy. Like, I'm not certain he is like such a step down from someone like McCarthy. I, I'm not sure because there are the Belichicks of the world, but then there are like the ones where I don't know how much separation there really is between hiring somebody like, I don't know, uh, D- Dirk Cutter and Jason Garrett. And Mc- I, I just, I, I don't know if there's that much of a drop off and there's a lot where it just seems like if Jameis Winston gets a lot better. And honestly, I'm more worried about the defense and the offense, like the Mike Smith stuff. Even if you keep cutter, I cannot believe they're bringing back Mike Smith. I can't either. This is the second year in a row that I think he's given up either the most yards in the NFL per game or basically bottom three, one of the two. Um, is it a loyalty I, thing? Because they just ha- they go back to the Atlanta days? I mean, it or? has to be. Yeah, I, I mean, all of this has to be a loyalty thing because the Buccaneers are very notorious for giving head coaches two years and then firing them because they suck. Because guess what? They hired the wrong head coach, so they made the wrong decision, and they're trying to get out of it. And that's what's happened basically every two, uh, on occasion, three years since they got rid of Gruden back in 2007. So that's just been the, the carousel that they've had. And I think that this year um, – we know that they were very interested in John Gruden and, and had Gruden's price tag not been to the moon and back, I think Gruden would have been the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But once the Raiders agreed on that massive contract, then the Bucks were saying, OK, well, we're just going to keep everybody now. We're not going to change just to change. So I think that's stupid. That's not the way to operate as an organization. Look, man, Either if, you believe that this guy is the right guy right, or you yeah. don't. But like, no, what is Dirk Cutter totally. thinking? It's like he knows that if. John Gruden says, yes, he's their coach. But it's also, they were negotiating with the coach while they had one. Yeah. That yeah. seems gross to me. No, it's, I mean, the whole, yeah, whole process is gross. And now here they are, they're going to, and now here they are, you know, they, they keep everybody on staff and they kind of put out this, um, I guess, image or tone where it's like, well, of course we weren't going to fire him after two years. Okay, well, that's that's not true. We know that that's not true. You would have if you had a better opportunity because that's what good businesses do. Um, and that's what this business and this business is no exception. So, uh, but just going back to your, the, the play calling thing real quick about him possibly giving it up to Munkin at some point during this year. Uh, the problem is, is that for cutter, if he gives up play calling at any point, then what's his value? Because that he was there to be the play caller for one. And two to bring consistency. Well, if he's no longer if, if if he has waved the white flag and said, I'm not good at calling plays. I need somebody else to do it. Why is he the head coach? Well, this and is so the Jason that, Garrett conundrum. At that point, he's just making himself vulnerable. But Jason Garrett and Jerry Jones have that weird kind of loyalty to themselves. You know, yeah. Jason Light doesn't have that with Dirk Cutter. So if Dirk Cutter gives up play calling. What what good is he for Tampa Bay? If especially if Todd Munkin does well, so that's I think, unfortunately for Bucks fans, I think that Cutter's just going to ride the ship either to the playoffs or or down and sinking this this season, and there's not really going to be an in between. Hmm. I like that you ended up with a sinking reference. Shout I mean, you know, Bucks pirate ships. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's all there. You know, and it doesn't help that everybody else in the NFC South was awesome this year. Oh my gosh, it was so brutal watching that. And not just, you know, I'm a, a not just from the a Tampa perspective, but it was brutal listening to the rest of the people within one bug place know that every single other team in the NFC South figured it out. Oh, well, hold on. Let me clarify. 
The Falcons never figure it out. And they okay. were actually the team that lost to the Dolphins at home in one of the most anemic That's performances true. of all. That is true. That stuck with me for a long time. And that was the reason I thought they were going to lose that first game to the Rams. I just couldn't get it out of my head. I will never forget that game, watching that game, and just being and just I was dumbfounded at how they blew that game at home to Jay Cutler and the Dolphins because the Dolphins were just unbearably bad this year. And they blew it at home, and it was just this offense never figured it out. Like, there are so many good, this is something else I have on my list, but there are so many good offensive coordinators available for them to just bring Sark back for another year. I, I get it. It's only been one, and maybe he the full offseason to figure it out and make adjustments is fine, but I don't know. There's a lot of offensive coordinator talent. So that I just, the fact that every Falcons person was like really excited about the idea of Gary Kubiak potentially taking over because oh, that God. was a thing. Oh, my God. Totally different season. The Falcons, if they were able to get Kubiak, and unfortunately, it seems like the hell stuff will always prevent him from getting back in the league on a full-time basis. But yeah, that, w- that would have been awesome. And this is not a team that figured it out, but it's... I just can't believe Sark made the jump from one year as Alabama's OC to Falcons OC. I think he had Raiders experience with Kiffin. I think he does have a brief amount of NFL experience. But I mean, I- I'm okay with like teams doing that. If the choice is between like, doing like a Brian Schottenheimer situation, which... I do have some thoughts in the Seahawks <laughs> offseason thus far, but like I, I, I want more teams to do that. Like, I mean, the Bucks did it with Monken and bring in more college guys that can kind of bring in different schemes, different ideas to the forefront in NFL games. Like, that's fine. And it just didn't work out. But at some point, you got to be like, there's just too much talent on this roster for this team to score 10 points against the Eagles with Nick Foles. Yeah. I just. Yeah. yeah. No, and I like Sark too. Like, I know you said that I, I, he just. He like outthought himself so much this year. Like at the beginning when they weren't even giving the ball to Julio and just the, and some of the different things that they've done. It just at the, like how they ran that last goal line effort to win the game. It's just like he's out thinking himself clearly, which is a, you know, it's a hey, disease man. that runs rampant among many offensive coordinators. Anytime you can throw your fullback into the back of the end zone and run a great route uh, and then throw Julio in the back corner, you got to do it. That's got yeah. to do it. That's what I always say. Yeah. So what do the Bucks need to do this offseason? Like what not to go full Bucks mode on this podcast, but like what are some things that you actually do want them to do and they should do to kind of right the ship? Whoever they draft at number seven has to be in the trenches. It's either got to be a pass rusher or it's got to be an offensive lineman. So like the two that they're going to target are, you know, Quinn Nelson and Quinn Nelson and Bradley Chubb are the big names. If they can get their hands on one of those guys at seven. Oh, I like Chubb there. You know, I think it gives you a chance. You know, Chubb immediately plays on the edge. He gets to play opposite Noah Spence. Um, that immediately kind of makes things better. They're going to get rid of Doug Martin's contract. They're most likely going to get rid of Chris Baker's contract. So there's probably going to be some new people there anyways. Um, if they draft Nelson instead at seven, you can move Marpet back to guard. All of a sudden, you have one of the best, like, one-two guard combos in the NFL. You can find a center anywhere. Um, and then the offensive line gets a lot better, so the offense obviously is able to. Because remember, like the Bucks were, the Bucks had plenty of opportunities even to win games late. Whether it was because Nick Folk was on the team at the beginning of the year blowing kicks, or James Winston's arm was hurt, or the defense was letting him down, like whatever, they were kind of there to where, hey, if they scored a touchdown instead of a field goal here and there, they win probably at least two maybe three more games right there just out of no like that's just better execution so that's kind of what i think they have to do not sure how much they can do in free agency because ziggy ansa is not really going to hit the market 
Demarcus Lawrence isn't really going to hit the market. So then there's not really a pass rusher that you can get. Offensive linemen don't really hit the market that much either. They're going to have to sign Mike Evans at some point. They're going to have to sign Jameis Winston the year after. So they got to be careful with that too. So Do they have to sign Jameis Winston though? Uh, well, to be determined. <laughs> To be determined. Uh, as of right now, they're uh, they, they're planning on fully resigning Jameis Winston, but we have plenty of time to see if that's going to be worth that or not. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. It's it's hard to move on from guys like that, especially him going number one overall. But I think crazier things have happened, and if things if they don't get in the playoffs by that time, they have to make. That oh decision. Lord, yeah. no, he'll yeah. It's they have to make the playoffs within the next two years, or they're going to blow this whole thing up, all of it. Mm. And when I say all of it, I mean the GM, the head coach, perhaps the quarterback, uh, likely Gerald McCoy. Like they're gonna if they can't if they don't make the playoffs in the last in the next two years, I this is going to be a completely different Buccaneers team three years later. Hmm. What were some of your favorite games this weekend? Um what was this weekend? What am I why am I blanking on this? Well, there was the Vikings play, Stefan Diggs with Oh right, 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 obviously. Um mm-hmm. I don't know what hey, hey, NFL happened this weekend. I should probably It did. Know. It did. Um no, I mean the Vikings play was crazy. And that was that was that and then the Jaguars game I was fully invested in because I think the Jaguars I, is the best game of the weekend. We've I, the, Do you agree with that? I, I feel like I was crazy for thinking that, but I was way well, more invested in that game. You 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 can't say that because of the way the Vikings game ended. Like, mm-hmm. I literally won't let you say that it was the best game of the weekend. But it was the second best game of the weekend, and it was a really good game of the weekend. So uh, I, have, I have a bunch of friends who are uh, hardcore Jaguars fans. And when the Jaguars hosted the Bills a week ago, I actually went up and got to tailgate with them and got to go to that Bills playoff game. And uh, those people those people love their sports, and they love their Jaguars. And so that makes me – it makes me happy to see them finally get to root for a winner – uh, because that Jags team has been bad for so long, so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun seeing them get to go against the Patriots and at least you know get the shot against it. So I, I have no idea how it's going to go. Um, I certainly hope the Jaguars win, but but we will see. Is it is this a strong take? You can be the arbiter here whether or not this is. Okay. I think the winner of the Jaguars Patriots game is winning the Super Bowl. One hundred percent chance. Like I will be absolutely for it. Mike. I may end up canceling this podcast if the Vikings or the Eagles win the Super Bowl. I don't think the I don't think the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl because I don't think they're going to be the Vikings. Nick Foles is not winning three games in a row in the playoffs. No, it's not no, happening. No, no. But also, so, guess how many teams have won the Super Bowl when they've hosted, or even gotten to the Super Bowl when they've hosted? I see. How many? Do you know? Zero. No team has ever gotten to the Super Bowl and hosted it. I mean, that would make sense. That's an incredible feat. I just, I can't, until it happens, can't do it. And I also don't, I like, yeah, do you yeah, see a scenario where Case you're, Keenum wins that? But like the difference with like Blake Bortles, man. Actually, I'm not. I'm banking <laughs> on the Jaguars defense. I mean, they might be Blake's that good. still going to not blow it. He hasn't, he's been fine. Like That's, that was the weirdest thing about this. Like Doug Marone and Nathaniel Hackett have schemed the, those games so well that yeah. Blake Bortles doesn't have to do anything. Like, that fullback <laughs> touchdown that they had where the Steelers were completely baffled that Blake Bortles found him over the middle and he was wide open. It's just stuff like that where I'm like, yeah. Bortles can do that. He can do those little basic touch passes. He's doing those five-yard outs. He he had a good bomb, like a 48-yard bomb. I think it was to Keelan Cole. It was like his first playoff catch uh, of the year. And just he has his moments. And when he's 
I don't know, man. It's starting like this is not a unique opinion, but it is starting to really remind me of the Ravens from a couple years ago. That's fair. Okay, look, if the Jaguars win, I don't think it's that hot of a take to say they win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I would pick them to win. If the Patriots win, though, and it's Patriots-Vikings, I'm taking the Vikings. Oh, no. No, no, no. Tom Brady loses to Case Keenum, and that's that's it. Like, he retires that night, and he's just like, he throws his hands up and just no. But then again, Case Keenum, I think, is better right now than Peyton Manning was when he won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Oh, no question. No question. You, You might be. Uh, that's wow we're gonna make so many broncos and colts fans and my family who if broncos fans don't know that peyton manning was bad when he won that last ring then they gotta wake up they still got the ring what does it matter just call him back just call him what it is still amazing what a feat but i don't know i just i i'm really confident in the jaguars which is crazy but that defense and just Clayus Campbell's awesome. Jalen Ramsey yep. and AJ Bouye are so confident. And like, I love that Bouye was so upset about giving up that touchdown to AB that it was his first one he'd given up all year. And I just, they're so good. And I think they're able to do things where like, he just has these check downs. TJ Yeldon out of the backfield. TJ Yeldon's alive now. And he gets these four yard scampers when they need to. And I think Leonard Fournette's awesome. I, I think Doug Brown's a really good coach too, but I just, I don't know. I think Marone or Belichick is going to be hosting, uh, hoisting rather, the trophy at the end of the year. It's one of the two. That's fair. Yeah. Sorry. I love the Vikings fans. Love the Eagles fans, I guess. And, you know, I just, I can't do it. But I do think the Eagles are winning. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, But yeah, so I want to quickly go through a couple other things before we get into these two games. So there have been a lot of surprising, uh, we touched on this a little bit, like offensive coordinator firings this mm-hmm. offseason, like John Morton. And apparently the rumor is that they were hope the Jets were hoping, were hoping that another team would like go after him, like kind of the Raiders situation where yeah, they would I saw hire him. And then they fired him because no one would like basically like acquire him essentially, which is very odd to me. And now like the rumor is like, if it's Jeremy Bates, their replacement, then the Jets are in real trouble. But it doesn't look like it looks like Todd Haley is the favorite, like you mentioned. But Todd Haley got let go, and I never watched the Steelers this year, thinking, "Hmm, Todd Haley's the problem here." I, I just no look. Somebody had said like during the Jaguars game when they were playing the Jags, somebody flashed up the stat and it was like Leonard Fournette has four touchdowns in Pittsburgh, and Le'Veon Bell has four touchdowns in Pittsburgh or rushing touchdowns. Sorry, like it, over the whole over the entire year, and people were super up in arms about it, but like. The Steelers had the number three offense in the NFL. Like, what do you like? Who cares that Bell didn't score rushing touchdowns? What does mm. it matter? You scored. And if you watch those games, you weren't thinking, "Wow, wish they would get Le'Veon Bell involved more." I mean, like, I, don't get me wrong. Trust, I, like, I read plenty of those tweets. But at the end of the day, the Steelers put up a crap ton of points this year. So, what do you? What exactly are you mad about? I, I don't I don't understand it. I, I would have thought that there'd be more issue with the defense and how the defense can stop the run against the Jaguars under any circumstances. Maybe mm-hmm. that part of that is Shazier going out obviously played a role in their season. Sure, sure. I just, I don't know. It was more of a defensive thing. I would be more worried about Tomlin and Keith Butler than I was Todd Haley. And it seems like it was more of like a personality issue because Todd Haley, by all accounts, doesn't seem to be on like the best of terms with Roethlisberger. That's what, yeah. That's what but we then seem again, to- it's like, how many more years does Roethlisberger have? Are we sure he's coming back next year? 
we're going to go, like he said, he wants to now play two to three more years, which seems insane to me. But either way, I'd be looking to draft his replacement in the next year or two. And they were flirting with Mahomes and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I, they draft the quarterback early. So, but then you have so many other offensive coordinator options, which is also why I'm so annoyed by what the Seahawks did is like, Chadzinski is now available, who I still think is a really good offensive mind. Not sure he's a good head coach, but good offensive coordinator. Like he did a lot with Jacoby Brissett this year, and the Colts' offense was actually kind of feisty. Jim Bob Cooter now available because the Lions are going with Patricia, and he's not going to keep Cooter. Mike McCoy, who I think is really good, and I think Peyton Manning like had glowing remarks about him as like one of the best play callers ever played for, and that kind of thing. Like there's so much talent there, and that's why the Sark stuff is so weird to me. Is like. A lot of teams are just moving on from really smart offensive minds. And then I'm actually really annoyed that Schottenheimer, Brian Schottenheimer is the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks. Can I, uh, all right, I'm I'm not even going to bleep this. It's a fucking atrocity. (laughs) (laughs) It's your podcast, man. You can do whatever you want. He sucks. I like, he's never been good. The Rams, the Jets, Georgia, wherever he goes, he's not good. It is his last name, and unfortunately, I've burned the bridge, so he'll never be on this podcast, but he should not be getting the offensive coordinator job in Seattle, and I am more than willing to eat crow if I'm wrong on this, but the fact that he and Marty Morningweg are still offensive coordinators in this league, and then there are guys like Morton, Haley, McCoy, Bevel, Chud, Cooter, everybody, like, that are all available, I just, I can't get behind, and North Turner getting rehired, like, what is happening? Yeah, North Turner getting hired is, it's, it's the same thing. Like they're this him and Olsen are the same coaching tree. So like, what is it? Like that's I again. It's a it's a it's a who you know. It's a boys club. The NFL is just a giant boys club. That's yeah, all. Rivera it is. missed his friend. Like by like, all accounts, yeah, if you read the reports on him what? and Turner. He just missed him from his time in San Diego. He's like, I want to yeah. bring back somebody to make my job more fun. Yeah, you just you 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 miss your yeah. You hire your boys. That's it. That's what the NFL is. That's what I've come to find out. And the. Some of the great teams, the one that change really quickly, um, are the ones that don't care about that at all. That actually hire the guys that do the best job. But again, it's uh, the NFL is weird, man. Once you once you kind of get past the, not all of this is necessarily about winning. You uncover a lot of stuff about the NFL that kind of makes your head scratch. Like, uh, I mean, I was naive for a long time watching the NFL. You know, you, I just thought, hey, you draft the best players, you sign the best players, you. You make the right decisions with the coaching staff and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And you just think that it's for the good of eventually winning a Super Bowl trophy. And then I work full time now in the media covering the league. And I can tell you that the moves are made with that not as the motivation. So it just it, it makes that's why there's so many frustrating hires around the league. And like you said, the, sometimes the really good dudes get left out in the cold, they get fired or whatever. And some of the mediocre dudes who have just stuck around forever just because they've been in the NFL, they keep getting jobs. Ken Norton Jr. got another defensive coordinator job. He got fired a couple of weeks ago. The Seahawks hired Brian Schottenheimer and Ken Norton Jr. as their new coordinators. Yeah, Seahawks have always been weird about that though, right? Like coaches and... But what? I I don't know. I can't get over this. This has been like the most puzzling thing of the offseason for me. Yeah. John Steiner's a good GM. Pete Carroll's a great coach. These coordinator choices are abysmal. <laughs> you can't be good at all of it, right? Maybe picking assistance, Pete Carroll's just awful at. Can I go ahead and pick the Seahawks to go like 4-12 and 12 next year? <laughs> I, I think you just did. 
The Seahawks, I mean, like, are they looking around the rest of the league and, like, the rest of their division? The Rams are still going to be good. Guess who's coming? Jimmy Garoppolo for a full season. Yeah. And you're hiring Brian Schoenheimer and Ken Norton Jr.? (laughs) I love the passion here, dude. I love it. I'm so upset. Like, and I'm not a Seahawks fan, but I love Russell Wilson and I, I... I don't know. I'm always going to ride for that guy, and I just never think he's going to no, credit for as good as he is. But like, he was in my MVP talks this year, yeah, and I think he did a lot for this Seahawks, team. Would the Seahawks really be the same if it wasn't Russell Wilson running for his life, making up for terrible decisions that the Seahawks front office has made to try to surround him with talent? Would it really be Russell Wilson? Because at this point, no, it wouldn't. It's the underdog thing where he's a lot of fun knowing that he like is going to be running for his life on every play. It's like it was kind of in... It, it's obviously probably not fun for Seahawks fans to deal with Tom Cable every week, but for outside <laughs> observers, we love that Tom Cable was their offensive line coach because it ensured that Russell Wilson was going to do cool stuff on the run because he, ha- I think he still was like the number one quarterback in scrambles this season. So, you know, he's, it's going to be weird seeing him next year, not run for his life, but do three yard curled routes on third and 10 and the drive being over because Brian Schottenheimer loves his short curl routes. Got to love, got to do it. Up. Yeah. What could go wrong? A lot. I'm so angry. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, one of the last things that I want to touch on before we jump into this week's games. So, at what point do we like start realizing that the Belichick to Giant stuff might actually have some legs? Because they still haven't hired anybody. It's been narrowed down. Like I think Steve Wilkes made the most sense out of all the candidates they've interviewed thus far, and especially like with his reported connection with Kettleman. And I've always been someone who's been more inclined to hire a defensive coach and then just hire a really smart offensive mind as your offensive coordinator. But you know, I. <sighs> Shermer would be fine, but I kind of hope he goes to Arizona and Keenum follows him there. I like that idea, and I like that potential story there where he could do Kurt Warner 2.0. Keenum's not going to leave, man. Hmm? Keenum's not going to leave. He has to leave. You're not paying him if you're Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota's totally paying him. Oh, no, no. Minnesota, what? Oh, what are they going to do? You can't, I mean, you can't start Sam Bradford, and Teddy Bridgewater has one leg. Here's a take. You ready for another take? Okay. You let them all go. Draft a new quarterback in round one. What are you drafting Lamar Jackson? Who are you getting? I don't know. You're not. I'm not going in. I'm gonna keep like one of them as like a just someone to see what happens for the first couple games. But it's not Keenum. I'm not paying Keenum multiple years. There's that's just no, 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 no. It's happening. I'm just letting you know. There's no way. Spielman, you think he's gonna lock Keenum up for three to four years? I bet he gives Keenum a three year deal. Yeah, Keenum's a great story. Don't get me wrong. I love Case Keenum. He seems like a great dude. That I bet Keenum with gets him and a big three-year deal with, uh, with Minnesota. No. I mean, Bridgewater's going to be interesting what they do with him because I think Bradford, who just was reported to have just a bad knee a couple months ago and like something where it was like, there's nothing you can get fixed here. It's just, this is just the situation that you're in. Yeah. I mean, he's been frail since... He got in the league. I feel bad because he was really good, and he finally find the he found the right coordinator with Shermer, and they had success in Philly. And it was just it that first game against the Saints was great. He looked awesome, and yeah, I I don't know what they do, but I would not pay. I I know what I would do. I would let them all walk. It's bold. Start over. Be bold. 
I don't think any of them, like, I would not feel comfortable locking any of those three up for more than two or three years. But that's why I think I think they're going to give Keenum a three-year deal. And they're probably a big gonna... one-year deal. Give him a big one. I, I would oh, do Keenum Lord for one. <laughs> what are they going to franchise Case Keenum? Not franchise. I guess two-year deal would, with a team option mean, in year two. <laughs> would, if they franchise Keenum, does that mean he makes like $27 million or something? Oh, my God. None of these options are appealing to me. That's why I love that the Vikings fans are getting it this year because this offseason is going to be tough to swallow because they're going to get a Adam Schefter text that says Case Keenum just got $100 million. <laughs> hey, man, if Mike Glennon can get $50 million just to be the warm-up guy for Mitchell Trubisky, why not? God. And, again, I this is not to say I don't like Case Keenum. It's you do not pay Case Keenum. Part of the appeal with him is that he's making $3 million this year, and it's a bargain for what they've got out of him. Sure. But, but then he becomes incredibly overvalued at his new cost if he does uh, get locked up for three years. Then it's just an albatross contract. I don't know. That's, good, that's ma- a good word, though. That's a good word right there. To There you go. I don't know. I want him to go to Arizona and Shermer to follow him. That's what I want. I want those two to go into Arizona together. That's what seems, I like a, seems like a pipe dream, but uh, I hear you. I'll let you dream. But back to the Belichick thing. The fact that they still haven't hired anybody, it doesn't seem like they're, I mean, it seems like Shermer is the favorite, but that still just doesn't feel like a Dave Gettleman hire. And I just, the longer what this they, goes. So how do they get, so how are they going to get them though? Like you got to give something up, right? I would think so, but. So what are they giving up? A pick, I'm sure. What, right. But Gruden over Gruden 15 years ago got two firsts and two seconds. Well, I think it'd be interesting because what but if what Belichick does... just goes to Kraft and is saying like, if you don't trade me to the giants, I'm just going to retire. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the stronghold play. That's the wild card for he sure. He could do that. He's in his he mid sixties. He could just be like, I want to go where I want to go. This has gotten to the point where I'm ready to move on. You know, I don't know. I just, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I, it does certainly feel to me like we're, it's not outlandish at this point. I don't think, I don't think the idea of it is outlandish, but like I said, if the, the Patriots aren't going to move on from Belichick for anything less than three first round picks, oh. right? So yeah, then I, do that. I would just hire Steve Wilkes. Right. So at that point, would Belichick even want to get traded to a team that's not going to have three first round picks? Yeah. Well, I mean, he could get them all back by immediately trading Odell Beckham because that's what he would do. <laughs> he can trade him to Tampa. Not that Tampa needs him, but if I Belichick just want to cover, the, cover Odell. Coach of the Giants, like Odell is gone within like the first couple of months, right? I'd hate. I'd cry. Can I'd you imagine him. Belichick putting up with Odell? There's no way. Eli <laughs> Apple gone, like day off. Well, Eli Apple is gone because yeah. of himself. So <laughs> that's true. Uh, Eric Flowers gone. I I don't know. I just I'd be fascinated to see. Like Dave Gettleman's already a cold blooded dude, and that's like part of the reason he filed a favor in Carolina. It seems like because Thomas Davis and there was like that players revolt yeah. that were just annoyed about the way he was doing contracts and just players in, in general. Like you know, there's going to be some cold blooded stuff going on in New York over the next couple months. Anyway, I was I was told that they in in Carolina, the way he budgeted the team was strict. Like strict by position, you know what I'm saying? Like it's mm-hmm. like, oh, you're the you're the third wide receiver in the team. Like you're the wide receiver three. 
I can't spend more than this much money, even though like if you spend a little bit more, you'd improve your team or whatever. And like I was told that that's kind of why like you saw deficiencies in Carolina just continue to be the same and the same and the same because they wouldn't get away from like their positional budget that they had. Um, also, that's he didn't, it wasn't terrible. I mean, he got them to a Super Bowl. He built a Super Bowl team. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But there were like, you know, them not having a wide receiver for the last four years. You know what they I'm saying? He also had 19 great pass rushers. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Well, I mean, I guess he was budgeting appropriately. Maybe he just could, could have shifted. Yeah, I think he was just like, I, I, I don't need to overpay for Thomas Davis. I think we're okay. Yeah. I don't think I need to overpay for uh, Josh Norman. I think we'll, we'll be all right. I don't know. I, I think Gettleman's a good GM, but I, I think he's a cold, <laughs> calculated GM. You know, he's basically Ben Affleck's character in the accountant, but <laughs> it, it works. I don't know. I, I'm interested to see. I hope it happens because I think it would be incredible. And I mean, he has a bunch of history and that's just an, uh, that's just a part of the Belichick story. Like his time in the eighties with the giants. And I, he was, I think he was a defensive coordinator there. What? Five years. He has a history. Um, it was a while. I'm not this sure. Is good podcasting, but I want to double check. But he was in the Giants organization for a while. I don't remember exactly how many years he was there. And he has like two kids, by the way, on his uh, coaching staff in New England, which I found recently, and I, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of. Yeah, he was the D- Giants defensive coordinator from 1985 to 1990, but he was also their linebackers coach from 1980 to 1984, and then he was a special teams coach in 1979. So he was there from 79 to 90, 11 years. Okay, cheats. Like, he was there a long time. I think it's possible. I really do. Boys club. When you're in, you're in forever. But Belichick, I think you make the exception for. Like, he's like the one where it's like, eh, boys club is terrible, but I, I get it with Belichick <laughs> stuff. Whatever. <laughs> um. All right, do you want to talk about this week's games? Yeah, let's do it. Championship round? All right, the championship round. I am very excited for one of these games and not very excited for the other. I think you can guess which one. I think we're going to be very disappointed. I'm really interested in the ratings for Vikings-Eagles. I, it's the 640 game Sunday night, but I'm way more interested in Pats, Jags, and I think it's going to be fun. I'm very interested to see how Tom Brady and Belichick attacks the uh, vaunted Jaguars defense and just how Bouye and Ramsey go against these guys. But I don't really know how. So I, we were, I was talking about this earlier this week. Uh, who guards Gronk? Telvin Smith or Miles Jack? Because I think Miles Jack. Yeah. Then you leave because then you leave Telvin to be able to be free, so he can cover, say, like Deion Lewis or somebody out of the backfield. In that case, then you're basically just saying, "Hey, Miles Jack, we literally drafted you for this one reason because <laughs> you were a you were a hybrid linebacker, safety, defensive back, edge rusher, whatever. We drafted you to guard Gronk. So I think they're going to stick Jack on." Gronkowski, I think they're going to let Telvin run free. I mean, Jalen has to get Cooks, right? That just makes sense. And yeah, then go ahead and cancel Cooks out tonight or on Sunday. Afternoon. Right, and then uh, Bouye is going to get Hogan. Is that right? I Ooh. mean, yeah, that makes sense. So that'll kind of because what the Jaguars are going to do is obviously they're just going to try to lock everybody up in every way they can athletically. And then just let the pass rush go wild because that's just what they do because their path, their front four is that good. Um, but what 
the Jags match up really well with this team, and especially like the yeah. Pats run defense. They is do not good, and Leonard Fournette is still playing at a really high level when he's able to stay on with the ankle stuff. But then you still have Yeldon who came out of his shell this week and, you know, uh, Chris Ivory still technically exists. And I, I just, I really am starting to lean more and more towards the Jags have a very, very real shot of winning this game. I think, I think the Jags have a lot better shot of winning this game than Vegas is being fair to, because I think the line is nine and a half. Sounds right. For the Patriots. Um, and I think the Jaguars will absolutely keep it within nine and a half. So mm. I, it's so hard for me to bet on Blake Bortles. But like you said earlier, they, they have simplified everything that he has to do where it's almost like he's a, he's like a run first quarterback at this point, you know, like it's a, he had more rushing yards and passing yards against the bills. And right. Won. It's, it's either, it's either one read or he takes off. Mm-hmm. So and it works though. He's right. Just... It's it's simple. It works. And the reason is because they block well. So mm-hmm. like the, what what's key for Blake Bortles is all he has to do is complete these key three or four passes in the first half. Mm-hmm. And then they're basically set the rest of the game. You know, if you can if you can hit that 20, that one 25 yard pass to Mark Easley and then that one pass over the middle to a tight end. Or just put them in space where, like, you don't even have to. It's more of a, a yak situation where they have a lot of guys who are super fast and able to do things in space, like Yeldon, Westbrook, guys like that. Where if he just puts the ball in the right spot, they can do stuff on their own. Right. Just give them the ball and let them work. <laughs> Take yeah. it out of your hands. And you, but then again, like, he, that was a really great throw to Cole. And I encourage everyone to look at it because he has his moments. It was a 48 yard bomb and Keelan Cole has been really good for them. And I mean, they don't have Allen Robinson obviously, which sucks, but I just, he does enough. And I think it's enough to beat the Pats this week. I, I've been going back and forth my pick this week for this game. I'm very confident in the next game, but this one, who do you have? And then I'll go, I'll go based on like where you're at. And then I'll, be certain about where i'm gonna go finally i would pick the jaguars to win the game okay you would are you are you gonna go ahead and put your name on it no i'm i'm picking the jaguars to win the game and the reason why i am is because of the thing that you said earlier and the thing that we went over this team matches up with the patriots really really well and a lot of people that i know that i'm friends with who are just tired of brady or tired of the patriots winning it all the time blah 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 they really wanted to see the steelers win because they're like the Steelers have the best chance of beating the Patriots. I'm like, no, they don't. This, the Patriots know that they can beat the Steelers. They outscore the Steelers all the time. Like, It's just going to be another shootout that Tom Brady comes out on top of if it was going to be Steelers-Patriots. We all know that. This is a wild card. This we have no idea. This defense is the best defense that Tom Brady has faced this year, bar none. And it's the one that cancels out so many. Because the Patriots, people always ask me, like, oh, how do they do it? How do, how do they have this kind of success for so long, it's because the Patriots, they don't necessarily have like the greatest players at every spot, but they have mismatch players everywhere. You know, like Deion Lewis on, on almost any linebacker in the NFL, it's a win for Deion Lewis. Gronkowski against almost any linebacker in the NFL, safety, whatever you want to call it. It's just, it's an automatic win for Gronkowski. Same thing with Cooks and his speed going vertically. Um, same thing with Danny Amendola or whatever, like in the middle, whoever it is that, that, that or Julian Edelman, you know, before when he's healthy, they just have mismatch players. The Jaguars, more than any defense I've seen this year in the NFL, 
has the exact personnel to basically take away every mismatch you should want and at least level that playing field. Not sometimes, you know, Jalen Ramsey can blanket a guy, but like if you can even level a playing field with a normal mismatch guy on a mismatch offense, you have a chance. And then at that point, we're just talking about can Blake Bortles play mistake free football and can he hit those two, three passes that he needs to hit to open up the offense to where he can be able to run. And Leonard Fournette can be able to run. And if they can do that, dude, they scored 45 points last week. They can beat the Patriots. I'm taking them. Okay, I'm taking the Patriots. <laughs> I can't do this. I I, I really would not be shocked at all if the Jags would win. And you made a lot of great points. And I'm very nervous about the run defense. I'm very nervous about how Tom Brady's going to react against this defense because I think he's going to get hit a lot. And now we got the whole hand situation. Yeah, that yeah. he's dealing with throwing hand and all that, but a situation where Belichick and Tom Brady are looking at the final four and they see Nick Foles, Case Keenum, and Blake Bortles. I just can't get my head around anyone but Tom Brady and Bill Belichick not winning that. And I'm gonna stick to my guns. And if I go down with the Brady Belichick ship this year, then so be it. But it's a noble ship, but. Yeah, um, I have yeah. them winning. I think we're getting a rematch of Eagles Pats from a decade ago, decade and a half ago. I can't believe that was already 14 years ago. Yeah. And fun fact, the according to 538, uh the Patriots had the easiest road to the Super Bowl since the 2004 Philadelphia Dude, Eagles. I feel like the Patriots have the easiest road like every year, man. But that's because their division is so terrible. So, when well, I'm just their division, their conference has just been bad. It's just they really well, only had to deal with a sporadic Steelers team, and then with Peyton Manning gone, it's just yeah, no, like the Steelers, like the AFC has been good in years past, but like the AFC is it the AFC East, yeah, it's the AFC East has like always been bad. So like the Patriots, basically, it's like five wins guaranteed, most likely six. So it's like their road that that number always gets skewed because their road is so easy. Wait, you're going with the Eagles, so you're picking the Eagles in the other game? I am picking the Eagles. Okay, we're going opposites. This is good. Because I'm going with the Vikings. All right. You're predicting the first time a team has hosted the Super Bowl in their city. You're thinking it's happening for the first time with Case Keenum and the Vikings. Records and streaks are exist only to fall. <laughs> yes. Sure. That is true. <laughs> I'm Can't the kind of person. I'm the kind of, I'll just tell you this. When I gamble, I love to play roulette and... I don't get super complicated with with how I bet. Sometimes I do, but normally I'm just kind of an either like an odds or evens or a red or black kind of a guy. And I'm always the person who bets the turn on a streak. Like if it's five black spins in a row, I'm betting red on the sixth one. Or, you know, like that's that's just how I bet. So it makes sense that I I just automatically have in my head yeah, so what that it's Brady and Belichick? The Jaguars will dethrone them. Yeah, so what that, that no one's ever hosted the Super Bowl before? It'll happen this year. So that's probably why I'm thinking that. Mm. Okay. Just a little background into how my mind works, I guess. Still not enough for me, man. I, I don't think... I, I, I like the fact that we're disagreeing on both games. Okay. Who do you feel more confident about? The Jags or the Vikings? Vikings. Interesting. So what do what about the mismatch that you're looking at that really actually makes you think that the Vikings are a really good matchup for the Eagles. I just don't know. I think 
I don't know if it's as much as mismatch because I love the roster on both teams. I thought JHI ran better than I've seen him run all year, basically like last game. And if he's running like that, man, this game is going to be, it's going to be tough and they're going to make it really tough on Minnesota. But um, I just don't trust Nick Foles. I don't know if he's going to be able to make the throws that I think that they need to, to win the game. That first and, drive he had against the Falcons was embarrassing. He was missing like two yard outs and just he was I just awful. Don't, I don't I don't trust him, man. But then I he really, was fine. The second half, he was fine. I just, but I, I but I still think that like had the Falcons actually called a better game, even even just to close things out, they're the ones we're talking about. This well, it's week. also like the fumbles that went the I think the Eagles fumbled four times and only lost the ball twice. Those are the kind of things that just kill you, and sh- they had a field goal when they should have had a touchdown on one drive where they uh, got a turnover. It was a fumble. I think it was the first drive of the Eagles um, game and they ended up only getting a field goal. But anyway, I just, there's enough talent on this Eagles team where I I like them at home and I like them to win in this ugly slugfest. I I think this game can be like 20 to like 13. It's not going to be as fun as Saints, Vikings, and Falcons, Eagles. I'll go ahead and say that. People are going to be – this is a bad matchup for the NFL. Like, if Carson Wentz was healthy, I think this is a really fun – Oh, if, if Carson Wentz is healthy, I'm picking the Eagles. Yeah. So. But uh, – But he's not. He is not. But I still think Nick Foles gets to the Super Bowl with this team. Hmm. The NFL is not – they cannot be happy about Case Keenum or Nick Foles being the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> It's like no. the NBA when the Pistons made it and just I the Spurs Pistons series from a couple of years ago. It's just this is not what they want. They do not want their final four to feature Blake Bortles, Case Keenum, and Nick Foles. This was not the plan. But that's where they're at. That's where we are. All right, man. Well, we both disagree and I uh I feel pretty good about it. So I will tweet at you. <laughs> after both games and remind you that i had the pats eagles super bowl rematch in if the vikings are the first team in i I love that you pick two underdogs that's the best or i guess the vikings are favored so you pick two road teams to win the uh, the championship games which i'm not sure has that happened i i'm gonna go and look after no the vikings yeah yeah um i don't know i don't know either way this was fun man i'm glad we were able to do this today no i know this is good this is good. All right. Well, is there anything you need to plug? Any sh- more Shrine game updates or no, things you're working on? No, I don't know about Shrine game stuff, but um, I guess anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you don't follow me on Twitter, my handle is at Tampa Bay Trey. Um, I'm always all in there talking football, not just Bucks, but draft stuff too, and uh, all kinds of tomfoolery as well. So I make sure to make sure to keep keep Twitter pretty pretty light, pretty entertaining because. Um, we're all just having fun on there. So um, if you want to follow me there, I'm usually pretty interactive um, anytime that anybody wants to talk about whatever they want to talk about. So I'd appreciate that. All right. Do that. Read PeterReport.com and keep up the great work, man. And we will we'll have to do this again soon. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Trevor. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.